start <laughs> to saying hello. Um, hello, and welcome to Resting Witch Face, your one-stop haunt for all things spooky, bitchy, and more. I'm Grant Jacoby. I'm Bailey Bennett, um, and we're really excited to be here once again dropping an absolutely unplanned episode on, like, really who knows what day. This this could be a coming out at any day in any year. Which um, is very fitting, because mm-hmm. it could literally... Well, we know it's still 2020, but it mm-hmm. could be really any day yeah every time i look yeah even when i look at the clock i'm like it could be 11 a.m it could be 7 p.m it could be a tuesday it could be a saturday there's truly no way to know because there's no differentiation between the days nope and especially now that i'm unemployed it's like really even more like bizarre where like the weekend rolls around i'm like oh thank god it's the weekend and i'm like (laughs) psych (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like, okay, well, this day is no different than any other day. <laughs> mm-hmm. But, you know, here's the thing, and I'm so sorry for this segue, but today is a better day than most days because we are actually bringing you a new episode of Resting Witch Face. So, yes. what about that? That is true. Um, mm-hmm. We are coming at you again with a remote recording. Mm-hmm. Bailey and I have swapped states. <laughs> she is now in Massachusetts, and I am in New York. <laughs> we truly, like, couldn't. The the concept of us being literally in the same state, let alone the mm-hmm. same city, like forced us to be like, you know what? We just need to make sure this is as remote as possible. Absolutely, I don't want to be anywhere near you. It, would it? What is more fitting for our personalities than for us to be quote unquote best friends, but absolutely <laughs> cannot be near each other? I mean, <laughs> quote unquote reads. best friends, but like while we overlapped for like a solid week in Massachusetts, like couldn't even get our shit together to see mm-hmm. one another. Yeah, it truly was like, we were like, okay, so like I have every single day free, but like on Tuesday it might rain a little bit. So I actually don't think this is going to (laughs) work. Okay. That kind of brings me to something I was like thinking about complaining about, but it's not really a complaint, which is more so like, what's going to happen when we can't like see each other outside anymore? Like what's going to (laughs) happen? Like, (laughs) babe, it's on all of our minds. Yeah. It's like, this is basically an, an early complaint section because now we're famously doing nice things in the complaint section. Like, who are we? I don't oh, know. Right. I, for, I forgot we were doing that. Yeah. I, I actually have, I can't think of anything. Yeah. Nice I don't have anything nice about, to say. So nope. So we'll, we'll, we'll see how that goes. Yes. Um, as we're, yeah, as we're recording this, it's, it's mid October. So we are thriving because it is the middle of spooky season, but for yes. the first, like for more so than usual, like the leaves changing on the trees and like this, just the foreboding of winter coming is like, it is, you know, the foliage foliage is stunning, but the idea that we are all about to be absolutely trapped in our homes for those of us who live in cold weather climates, like not to put any extra anxiety on people. We're going to get through this. We've gotten through so much already, but it just is like the, truly the great unknown right now. It is. It's, I thought you were going to take that in a very different direction, which I thought okay. you were going to say that because, well, I thought you were going to say what I was feeling, which is, mm-hmm. I think, for the first time in, like, and maybe it's because I spent a lot of time in suburban Massachusetts and actually mm-hmm. got to, like, look at some fucking trees. It, like, feels like fall. Oh, it. I, I am in the falliest of fall moods, I have to like, say. Like, it's crazy. I don't know what, I don't know what about I feel like I guess I feel like the past couple of years it we've gone straight from summer into winter Absolutely. and like to the point where I was like I didn't even notice the leaves change. Mm-hmm. Are you are you familiar with my favorite meme of Christian girl autumn because I'm living it. <laughs> <laughs> how, Although, how many how many pumpkin spice lattes have you had? I actually don't like pumpkin spice and I don't. Yeah, even that was have like any. really like. Well, you don't like you don't like pumpkin pie. I like pumpkin. I like pumpkin pie. I don't like pumpkin spice flavored drinks i'll say i don't that's, love a that's fair but i don't even own any infinity scarves so i'm really like i'm not yeah, okay. fully embodying christian girl autumn but like do you I have am, uggs i don't i actually okay i don't have any of the aspects Damn. yeah yes thriving it feels like fall i've already watched halloween towns one and two and hocus pocus oh wow bless you so um 
I'm right on that spooky trail. And actually, speaking of spooky things, this kind mm-hmm. of segues into our recommendation slash, I guess, will also be badass bitch mm-hmm. um, element, which is, I know you haven't started watching. I'm at three and a half episodes into The Haunting of Bly Manor, which yeah. I'm sure all our listeners have also probably eagerly been watching. For those of you that don't know, it's like the sequel season to Haunting of the Hill House, which came out two years ago. I was like, I damn, know. like they took a fucking long time. Um, mm-hmm. But I mean, again, yeah, I've, I'm only a couple episodes in, but it is so good. And it also just features like a really like refreshingly diverse cast. Oh, nice. Um, and is just like fronted by some really badass women. So Victoria Pedretti is back. Mm. Um, she was playing Nell in the first season. She's now a totally different new character. Um, mm-hmm. which I'm really happy that, I don't know, like, obviously it's like the American Horror Story of it all, where it's like, you do like the anthology seasons with like right. the same cast, which mm-hmm. I find sometimes can be like really overwhelming and not overwhelming, just kind of a little bit like, okay, like what like kooky you're- character is Jessica Lang going to play this season? You know, like, right. And it's, it's also like you're starting from square one again at the beginning of a story where yeah. you're like, okay, am I going to care about these characters as much as I cared about the characters of the last Ex- season or whatever? Exactly. But I find that, um, I don't know, I found so far that I've, I'm not as emotionally invested yet, because I think the mm-hmm. first season, did you ever watch the first season? Uh, yeah, I watched most of it. Yeah, I, I found like just being buoyed by that family was so, mm-hmm. um, I, just, I love the human story within the mm-hmm. horror of it all, which is still mm-hmm. definitely apparent here. But um, for me, more so what I love is that it's based off of, um, well, both, both, Seasons have been based off of literature. This one is based, uh, the first one was based off of The Haunting of Hell House by Shirley Jackson, mm-hmm. um, who I definitely was, I think was a badass bitch at some point. And then this is based off The Turn of the Screw, mm-hmm. which I've actually read and I've seen some. Me too. Have you seen um, The Innocence? No. The movie it's based off of? Yeah. So um, it's just cool to see, like, to see the source material reimagined. Mm-hmm. Um, which I'm really enjoying, but yeah, sorry, went a little bit of tangent there, but yeah, oh, okay. badass bitches recommendations. Yeah, Victoria Pedretti is amazing. You also might know her from the Netflix show You, mm-hmm. um, and then uh, also some really great performances by Tania Miller and uh, Tahira Sharif and mm-hmm. um, Amelia Eve. Just some really like cool women, really diverse cast as I mentioned. Um, some really hot male eye candy. Um, nice. I, I, I apologize also if I pronounce any of his names wrong, but um, Raul what Coley I mean? from um, iZombie, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And he's a fucking snack. Oh, and my so God. Is, I, oh, I love him. Yeah, he's he's, he's so sweet and so hot. Yeah. And then Oliver uh, Jackson Cohen, who was also in the first season, is back, and he's looking also quite uh, delectable. So come for the ghosts, stay for the eye candy. And, and mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, there's some hot women, too. No, I was just going to say I'm really – I'm glad that you could – speak to this because I feel like I'm absolutely failing us as a podcast and missing out on a a big cultural moment because I just haven't started the season yet. It's obviously everyone is watching it. I'm sure a lot of our audience is watching it because it's right up our street. Um, But I did hear from some people that this season is not as scary as the last season. Okay. I would agree. The first season. So, well, okay. Again, I'm only a couple episodes in, but I'd say the first season had this like, constant sense of just like sheer dread mm-hmm. and i don't i don't know where the season is going in terms of it's just much more of like a a localized story i mm-hmm. think because it's haunting hell house is very much like you know you see them as kids and the trauma that they endured at the house then but then how it's affected them as adults and they're kind of like you know this house simultaneously like tore this family apart but brings them back together mm-hmm. so it's, it's very sprawling and across like many decades and um Right. locations and this is very much more i mean there, there's still flashbacks and this season takes place in the 80s um but it it's definitely more like localized to the house and specifically like what's going on with these characters and these specific ghosts in the house whereas hill house is more kind of like it almost felt like it was like a metaphor for mm-hmm. grief and whatnot but also in doing so there's also yeah we're really really some good good just smart scares yeah, and this one has it too. It's it's just really, really um, what I've really been impressed with with uh, Mike Flanagan, who's directed it um, both seasons and is the creator and wrote both seasons uh, or wrote a lot of the episodes. Is just the imagery, mm-hmm. just like the really kind of haunting imagery that is used I, b- between both seasons. I find just very, very smart, and it's not relying on jump scares. It's more kind of like this, like mm-hmm. foreboding, this like 
Yeah. Un- this unease. Right. Um, but yeah. That's... Yeah. And isn't this, this current season takes place in the eighties. So like, yes. maybe it's like a little campier or um, no, no, no. Okay. <laughs> no. Great. Well, it's it's very it's very similar in terms of tone to the first okay. season. They mm-hmm. definitely feel like they're cut from the same cloth. It's a little bit of a narrative difference, but you know what? Just go check it out. Yes. All you cool cats and kittens. Oh my god, a Carol Baskin reference. Thank God. We never it, it's actually a good thing we never recorded this podcast in the days of Tiger King because Oh yeah. <laughs> talk about haunting. Yeah, truly. That's that's the murder we need to solve. That is Where, where is he? He is in the belly of a lion. <laughs> a, a tiger, Grant. Please. All right. Uh, wow, I'm an idiot. Well, she loved <laughs> She loved all big cats. Right. You're right. Um, Anywho. Anyway. All right. So we're, we're gathered here today, as Sammy promised when we recorded an episode of Grant doing a story. We thought it was only fair that while we're still in spooky season, we would record one more episode so that I could also do a story for you guys. Um, yeah. I don't really even know how I landed upon today's story, but I was kind of searching through some kind of old Hollywood haunting type mm. situations. And Love it. Um, I came across one that's like, it's, it, it's a little bit hard to describe, but it has some weird connections to other stories that we know about. And um, mm-hmm. I, I'm sure that Grant, you probably don't know uh, about a woman named Jean Harlow. Um, I know everything about her. I know everything about everything. No, I have no idea. What you're talking okay, about. great. Well, this is this is basically the story of what many people call the Jean Harlow house. Um, mm. It is Jean Harlow was a Hollywood starlet um, in the early mid 1900s and a great decade for a film. great entire yeah 100 years um and she basically there lived in this home a lot of things went on while she was there and after and i'm just going to kind of take you on this journey um i have to i'm going to tell you about jean harlow first and then we'll kind of get more into the hauntings that arose from her life basically sounds i'm i'm Pins and needles. Okay, great. Um, so I utilized uh, stories from a website called Bizarre Los Angeles, The Claremont Sun, HauntedHouses.com, which, wow, are we jealous of that URL that they were yeah, able to snap congrats up. getting that domain name. Shit. Yes. And um, also an article in Marie Claire. So... Jean Harlow was born as Harlene Harlow Carpenter in Kansas City, Missouri. Um, Her father was a dentist and her mother, whose name was Jean Poe Carpenter, uh, was the daughter of a wealthy real estate broker named Skip Harlow. Harlene, who will become Jean, was always called the baby and was very close to her mother, who was extremely protective and possessive of her daughter. It's hard to say if it was in a, you know, in a bad way, in a good way, but it does seem like they had a, a close bond. Um, when Harlene was in school, her mother eventually filed from for divorce from Mr. Carpenter. So on September 29th, 1922, uh, the uncontest, uncontested divorce was finalized, giving sole custody of Harlene to her mother. And although Harlene loved her father, she didn't see him very often after this and just kind of moved on with her life with her mom. Um, In 1923, the 34-year-old Jean Carpenter took her daughter and moved to Hollywood in hopes of becoming an actress herself. So uh, Jean Harlow's mom wanted to become an actress. They moved to Hollywood. However, Jean was told at that time that she was too old to begin a film career. Because uh, you know, at the age at the age of thirty four, she was basically was she really thirty four. She was thirty four. Oh, so, but um, young Harlene attended the Hollywood School for Girls, but dropped out of school at the age of fourteen in the spring of nineteen twenty five. With her finances dwindling, Jean and Harlene moved back to Kansas City after Skip Harlow, the, the grandfather, issued an ultimatum that he would disinherit Jean if they did not return. So um, Harlene next attended the Ferry Hall School in Lake Forest, Illinois. The school was close to the Chicago home of Jean's boyfriend, Marino Bello. 
during Harleen's freshman year at the school, she was um, paired with a big sister from the senior class who introduced her to 19-year-old Charles Fremont McGrew, and who was an heir to a large fortune. Um, they began dating in 1926, and they were married in 1927. And then her mother also got married in that same year to, to Marino Bello. So mom and daughter both doing great, both have new husbands. Um, but in 1928, um, Harleen and her husband left Chicago and moved to Beverly Hills. So she's back back in Hollywood. Um, her husband turned 22 two months after the marriage and received part of his large inheritance. So the couple moved to Los Angeles, settling into a home in Beverly Hills where Harleen thrived as a wealthy socialite. Mm. Her the, husband, the literal dream. Isn't it? Um, her husband hoped to distance Harleen from her mother with this move. Oh, yes, I just thought this was a really f a fun quote. <laughs> they said, neither Chuck nor Harleen worked during this time, and both were considered heavy drinkers. Like, mm. honestly, <laughs> probably signaled like they, they might have not been doing that great, but does in some ways sound like the ideal <sighs> lifestyle. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so while living in L.A., Harleen befriended a young aspiring actress named Rosalie Roy. So Harleen helped out her friend Rosalie by driving her to Fox Studios for an appointment. But Harleen was noticed and approached by Fox, ex Fox executives, whom she told at the time she was not interested. Nevertheless, she was given some letters of introduction to central casting. And a few days later, Rosalie Roy bet Harleen that she didn't have the nerve to go in for an audition. Unwilling to lose this bet, impressed by her enthusiastic mother, who had actually followed her daughter to L.A. by this time, um, Harleen went to Central Casting and signed in under her mother's maiden name, Jean Harlow. So this is kind of mm. how she gets, gets her Hollywood stage name. Okay. Um, and this is kind of the name that people would know her under from there on. So after several, several calls from casting... And a number of rejected job offers by Harleen, her mother finally convinced her to accept work at the studio, which is just, like, so telling that this was such a different time in Hollywood where she's, like, I mean, you have to be some kind of really special starlet to be literally going in and turning down offers of people being, like, please be an actress. Where now it's, like, everyone in L.A. is, like, I will literally do anything to be an extra in it. Like, you know, it's just, like, mm -hmm. it was a very different time. And, um, but she ended up getting cast, um, and she appeared in her first film called Honor Bound in 1928 as an unbilled extra for $7 a day in a box lunch, which was common pay for such work at the time. <laughs> Grant's like, okay, hey. actually, sounds good. <laughs> Free food. Um, this led to a few more parts, and in December of 1928, Jean um, Harlow signed a five-year contract contract with Hal Roach Studios for $100 a week, which I'm sure at the time was pretty great. Well, yeah, up from seven. Yeah. Was very it seven good. a day? It was seven a day. She's now getting $100 a week, but it seems like it's like a consistent stream of money because she signed with a studio because I'm not going to like fully get into this but like if you've listened to like you must remember this or any of the much mm -hmm. better podcasts that can tell you what <laughs> Hollywood was like at this time there was this whole studio system in place where like basically if you were an actress like you would sign with this studio and you were almost like basically owned by this studio right. and like you would appear in their films and you wouldn't appear in other uh, any other studios films um, so she was involved with this studio called Hal Roach which doesn't exist anymore. I don't know if it was renamed or became part of some other studio, but um, at the time was a very big deal for her. So in March of 1929, though, she ended up with uh, parting with Hal Roach, who tore up her contract after Harlow told him, it's breaking up my marriage. What can I do? In June 1929, Harlow did end up separating from her husband and moving in with her mother and her mother's husband, as they were all now living in L.A., after her separation from her husband, Jean continued working as an extra in more films until she landed a part in the silent film Hell's Angels. Director Howard Hughes signed her to a five-year, $100 per week contract on October 24th, 1929. And during filming of this movie, Harlow met MGM executive Paul Byrne. So... Hell's Angels premiered in Hollywood at the famous Chinese theater on May 27, 1930, and became the highest grossing film of that year, beginning to turn Jean into an international star. 
However, her actual acting ability was often often mocked by critics at the time. Um, but still, her career continued to take off. I swear this is going to get spooky at some point. Um, she became <laughs> romantically involved with MGM's Paul Byrne, who was able to convince the studio to sign her to MGM, ending her contract with Howard Hughes. This was signed in 1932 on her 21st birthday, March 3rd. In her roles from there on out, she was celebrated for her looks and her comedy prowess, starring in some films that, like, we probably don't know the names of, but I think were big at the time, like Red-Headed Woman, Red Dust, who she was, she started that with Clark Gable, Hold Your Man, Dinner at Eight, and many more. Wow. Some real classics in there. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um Paul Byrne, who was a German-born film director, screenwriter, and producer, was significantly older than her. So he was 42 when they got married in July of 1932. As I just said, she had just turned 21. But they seemed happy together. Some accounts state that there may have been trouble in paradise and that Byrne was even abusive towards Jean, but these these claims seem to be largely unfounded. Um or at least there isn't a ton of evidence of it. So things took a turn, though, when Paul Byrne actually ended up being found dead just two months after they got married. Ooh. So on September 5th, Burns, uh, Byrne was discovered dead from a gunshot wound to the head in the home that he shared with Jean on Easton Drive in Beverly Hills, California. Oh, the coroner at the time ruled his death a suicide. There was a note that was found at the scene that I'm going to read to you now. <gasps> Very, very strange. Dearest dear, unfortunately, this weird. Is the, <laughs> yes, already weird. <laughs> also, the hand I've I've seen the note and the handwriting is like kind of messy. So I thought maybe it could have said like dearest Jean, but I actually think it does mm. say dearest, dearest dear, dearest dear. Very um creative. Yep. Unfortunately, this is the only way to make good the rightful wrong I have done you and to wipe out my abject humiliation. I love you, Paul. And then under that, it said, you understand that last night was only a comedy. And that's the whole. So it like, there's some implication there that they had a fight that maybe he did something to hurt her the night before, but they obviously take this to be a a suicide note um, as the, the authorities view it that way. Understandably, though, there's still some mystery surrounding the circumstances of his death. To the police and before a grand jury, Jean's only statement was that she knew nothing and um, she was made an executor executor of her husband's estate by the California judge. She never again spoke publicly about the matter, but the situation did cause quite a scandal. Um, some thought that Jean herself had committed a murder and executives tried to replace her in the film that she was shooting at the time because of the controversy. However, Jean survived the ordeal and her popularity popularity only continued to grow after his death. In fact, a 2009 biography of Byrne said that Byrne might actually have been murdered by a former lover and the crime scene rearranged by MGM executives to make it appear that Byrne had killed himself. Hmm. Um, Allegedly, authorities learned that before Byrne's death, he had received a visit from Dorothy Millette, who was his common-law wife, and I guess like an ex of his. Um, two days after Byrne's death, Millette actually ended up jumping to her death from the Delta King steamboat. Therefore, from then on, rumors swirled that Millette may have been the one who killed Byrne. Um, so this is where the home that this episode is about actually comes in. Um, so I know that this has been a little bit of a roundabout story, but I think it's important to have the context. Oh, of course. Um, so there's... Some confusion here because different sources reference different addresses when talking about Jean's residences and what took place in each of them. However, the common thread seemed to be that the home in question, this like haunted home that we're talking about, probably was found at 1353 Clubview Drive in Los Angeles, California. So this appears to be the home that Jean lived in before her marriage to Paul Byrne, and this is where their wedding actually took place. Um Byrne bought the two of them another extravagant home elsewhere in L.A. when they got married. Um, and However, Jean was at the Clubview Drive home when she learned about her husband's death, who took his own life at the other home. So it's not like an important distinction, really, but there's like gotcha. a lot of people who think a lot of, play, a lot of sources say that Paul Byrne died in the 
in the like haunted home, but he oh, he did in the uh, gotcha, he did not. But Jean was in the haunted home when she found out. What a uh, place to be! Right. So you know, still that connection to his tragic death was only the beginning of the home's haunted history. So while Jean ended up remarrying and. Uh, getting divorced again, and though her fame continued to grow, her life also ended in tragedy at a young age. Oh, no. Jean actually ended up dying of kidney failure at the age of 26 on June 7th, 1937. But her home lived on. So... She just, like, died of kidney failure? She, like, there's a whole... There's a lot of background about this, how this ended up happening that I decided not to include because it was just, like too much but there's a whole thing about how she was actually like on set filming and she was supposed to be playing a character who felt really sick mm-hmm. and who was like ill in the scene but she was like so much sicker in real life that she was like leaning on her coast co-star being like i need to get out of here like i like i'm not gonna make it and there were all these rumors from people that her kidney failure resulted from her being beaten by her first husband and that he had actually damaged her kidney but oh, as far as i can tell there isn't actually evidence of that. So I think that that's a rumor, but there's a <laughs> whole thing. But yes, she, en- she ends up dying very young. So the following is a description of the house that a paranormal investigator and author Hans Holzer uh, published in a book called Haunted Hollywood in 1974. Quote, the house in question is a handsome white stucco one-family house set back somewhat from a quiet residential street in Westwood, a section of Los Angeles near the university, generally considered quiet and upper middle class. It is a two-story building with an elegant staircase winding from the rear of the ground floor to the upper story. The downstairs portion contains a rather large oblong living room, which leads into a dining room. There are a kitchen and bathroom adjacent to that area and a stairway leading up to the upper floor. And upstairs, there are two bedrooms and a bathroom. So it sounds like it was a a beautiful home, classic Hollywood. Um, But the house's haunted history only grows after Jean's death. So so this, this I think, might specifically interest you, Grant. In 1963... A celebrity hairstylist named Jay Sebring bought Uh-oh. the former Harlow home. Uh-oh. So after moving into the home, Sebring began dating an actress named Sharon Tate. Ever heard oh, of yeah, her? Yeah, he did. Um, so, and they were together from no. 1964 to 1966, and they are also living in this, in Jean Harlow's former home. So Tate would often stay in the home with Sebring during this time, although the two broke up after Tate left Sebring for director Roman Polanski. Um, so here's where it's where it gets interesting. While they were still together, Sharon Tate says that she had an out-of-body experience of her own that many believe could have been a premonition of her impending murder by the Manson family. Ooh. So just two years before her death, Um, the incident occurred and she gave an interview to fate magazine to a to an interviewer named dick kleiner in 1968 which i believe was uh just a year before she died so basically she has this she has this incident then a year later she she tells this magazine about it and then a year after that she dies Mm -hmm. so i'm just going to quote this article and quote sharon here so the fate magazine i guess was like a magazine about fate and like <laughs> oh was it shit. i'm just guessing um but i think he asked the interviewer asks sharon if she's had a psychic experience gotcha so she said quote yes i have had a psychic experience at least i guess that's what it was and it was terribly frightening and disturbing thing for me it happened a year or so ago maybe you can explain it she says to the interviewer um tate wasn't sure why but she told Kleiner that she couldn't sleep one night and that she quote had a funny feeling in a state somewhere between being awake and asleep she had a vision that foreshadowed her murder so and obviously she's sleeping in the Jean Harlow house at this time Mm -hmm. she says quote I saw this creepy little man he looked like all the descriptions I had ever read of Paul Byrne who was Jean's husband who died Mm. According to Tate, the figure entered the bedroom and, quote, dashed around the room, frightening her so much that she jumped up and ran towards the stairs in her bathrobe. But once she reached the staircase, the, quote, dream only got worse. 
I saw something or someone tied to the staircase, she said. Whoever it was, and I couldn't tell if it was a man or a woman, but I knew somehow that it was either Jay Sebring or me. He or she was cut open at the throat. Oh. So then in 1969, both Sharon and Sebring would be murdered by the Manson family in her home in Los Angeles. So not in the Jean Harlow house, but Sharon would end up dying of multiple stab wounds. So obviously it's not an exact premonition, but it is mm-hmm. a very foreboding. strange, very foreboding thing to happen to her. I don't like the use of the word dash. Um, I don't like it at all either. I don't like I don't a like... strange little man dashing around my room in the yeah. middle of the night. I mean, maybe it's just because ghosts are normally pictured as like slow and shit, which is obviously creepy. Right. But once I start running, all bets are off. Oh, absolutely. Well, that's what that's what I always said about the. Um, this is such an, a non sequitur, but um, the the movie It Follows. which I'm sure many people have seen is like obviously a very terrifying film. But the whole thing with that is like, you're followed by this spirit, but it only ever moves at a walking pace, like a slow. Mm -hmm. So you're like, it's always coming at you, but you can get away from it. So there's just like a weird (laughs) different thing there. I think. Yeah. I love that movie. I I think that just, I think that really played on to just a very different sense of like, obviously like, the other extreme would be like something like 28 days later or like right. um, the newest or the, the newest, the, the remake of Dawn of the Dead in like 2004 where it's like these zombies run and that's so scary. Oh yeah. Whereas, yeah. Or something uh, definitely about it follows where it's like you can get away, but you can never get away. And like yeah. you can pass, you can pass on the curse, but mm-hmm. it's, you're always going to be wondering if it's going to like come back, which is. Yeah, absolutely. Ah. That's true. Okay. Anyway. I love that movie. Same. Back to the story. So since that all happened with Sharon Tate, there have been many other unexplained phenomena that have supposedly occurred um, for other people who have subsequently lived in the house. So I'm kind of just going to list off a bunch of things for you here. All of these incidents are, again, described by Holzer, who is the paranormal investigator who wrote that book and obviously knows a lot about this particular property. So... On one occasion, and this is all describing thing like a bunch of other people who've lived in the house uh, after Sharon. So on one occasion, the dogs barked and growled as they charged upstairs towards the master bedroom, only to search around the room without finding anything, which is like not like the scariest thing ever. But I do always think that animals often have more of a sense than we do um, oh, when something totally. is off. apparently um, a disembodied female voice once whispered, please help me into the ear of one of the home's other female occupants. Uh So we love that. Um, An apparition, which apparently resembled cigarette smokes, cigarette smoke was uh, chased around by the family dogs. On one occasion, (laughs) the the couple lost. (laughs) It's, It's a smoke monster. On one occasion, the couple who lived in the home was awakened by the feeling of their bed being jerked around. Allegedly, this stopped when the wife addressed the spirit and asked if they could get some sleep. <laughs> can you like, please, can you please quiet down? Yeah, the ghost is like, I oh, actually, okay. I love dealing with um, a demonic apparition that way. Just being like, "Girl, I'm really fucking tired. Could you not? We're yeah, all going like, through something." <laughs> Um, the lights in the kitchen would go off and on by themselves, uh, while walking through the living room, one woman saw a strange formless light in like an outline of a person floating above her near the ceiling. Love that. There could be cold spell, cold spots felt in the kitchen, the downstairs area and the upstairs bedroom. And there were unexplained wind drafts that have been felt throughout the house, especially in the kitchen and the upstairs bedrooms. Um, there's also the strong smell of a woman's perfume that could be smelled in the children's room upstairs. <laughs> this one is fun. Disembodied female gut-wrenching sobs were heard by two family members in the living room near the mail blo- mailbox slit. Can you imagine just like kind of sitting in your living room and you're just hearing absolutely gut-wrenching sobs coming through your mailbox hole <laughs> in the door? And you're like, okay. <laughs> Like, oh, okay. Please, please um, quiet down. 
There were light footsteps that would go up and down the stairs. One report described the sound of a party coming from inside a closet in one of the upstairs bedrooms. Nice. Which I'm like, I love that. Um, An unusual dream also was shared by multiple members of the households who all dreamed of a faulty, dangerous wall light in the upstairs bathroom. Both of them, the husband and wife, I guess, saw a clear vision in separate dreams of the bathtub full of water and bubbles. A hand from the bathtub would, like, emerge and switch on the light, and then it would receive a shock and wither away back into the bath. And they both separately had this same exact dream. So when they called, they finally called in an electrician and he like went to check it out and apparently was horrified at the state of like this outdated, dangerous light switch that was in the bathroom and like could easily result in someone being electrocuted to death. So he put in a safe one. I feel like the story is like becoming like the, you know, Stefan from SNL. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. It's like, like the <laughs> story is everything. everything. Light switches, <laughs> closets, mail slits. I know. Well, that's okay. So this is basically the end of the story. I'm just telling you like, so here's the last thing. Um, unfortunately, Oh, this is just a paragraph that I wrote. Unfortunately, we don't have a lot of resolution when it comes to this house, which is obviously still presumed to be haunted. Um, so there's a lot of uncertainty still surrounding the home and its occupants, but clearly there was a lot of, tragedy that surrounded this space so yeah it's really interesting because it's like basically you have this really tragic hollywood figure who died at such a young age when her stardom was just rising which i think is a lot of the reason why most people don't know her name and don't Mm -hmm. know a lot of the films that she was a part of like she definitely had the potential to be so much more than she ended up being but she died this tragic death and like she had all these other people in her life who uh, died as well especially her husband then it gets taken taken on by another really tragic Hollywood couple, obviously, in Sharon Tate and J.C. Bring. And then from there, the, the subsequent people who've lived in the house have just had all of these different types of experiences, some of yeah. which I think do seem to call back to the tragedies that happened within that house. And mm-hmm. maybe there were even more that had happened before we're even aware of before Jean even inhabited the home. I just thought it was so strange that it connected back to the Manson murders. Yeah. It's like the Kevin Bacon of crimes. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Um, Yeah. I'm, I'm so curious to know like if this house is haunted, like because of the stuff that like happened with like Mm -hmm. Jean Harlow and maybe even Sharon Tate, or if it's was haunted long before my guess is that. Right, if it's the other way around, where it's like anyone who kind of came in proximity to this home ended up having tragic things happen to them, which is Ooh. very. What strange. was what was the address you said this house was? Um, I'm, it'll... oh yeah, it is thirteen fifty three Clubview Drive in L.A. Interesting, but yeah, it's like uh, it was it was a, it was kind of hard to find information about this. Like I said, there it was like very convoluted and people like couldn't seem to decide what the address was, which house it was because mm. she lived in several residences. Um, but I'm sure it was a nice home. And I'm really curious who's living in it now. Well, it's at, uh, according to realtor.com, mm-hmm. it's apparently an estimated $3 million. Oh, wow. All right. Four bedroom, three bath. Mm-hmm. Looks nice. Looks haunted. If we split the price, I bet we could make that happen in five to yeah, ten years. Just, yeah, just like take out like eight mortgages. Yeah, I mean, definitely worth it. Um, I, I would think so. I'm trying to get someone to whisper, please help me in my ear. And, and then I'm trying to get mad at her while I'm trying to sleep and she's shaking my bed around. I just want to go to a party in a fucking closet. Oh my awesome. God. Absolutely. Um, yeah, so that's the that's the story of the Jean Harlow house. Spooky. Um. Sorry if that was a little bit winding, but no, it's well. No, I think it's always interesting to get the context of, especially in you know, old Hollywood is so fascinating and just like the way that people just like went about their lives and husbands yeah, and I agree. And I everyone I died never, at like before they were fifty. I know, I know. You're right. At age twenty six, probably wasn't even like that young to die at the time. But yeah, sorry. they were like, she's like, oh, old maid. I'm like, okay, as I am older than that now, and I actually. I'm, you know, loving being alive. It does seem tragic to me. Um, no, but I had never heard of her, so I thought it was. Her name sounds familiar, but it also sounds like a lot of, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, that, that like old Hollywood like stage name. Like, like no one actually had the name that they 
sad they were. I feel right. like in them. Exactly. Well, I also love how she changed it from Harleen Harlow to Jean Harlow. Like that was a really yeah, good spot. Yeah, this is not really like a Natalie Portman, nay, Hirschlag <laughs> situation where you're like, okay, like, <laughs> we get it. I understand. I understand that choice, too. Right. Well, cool. Cool. Mm. All right. Well, I mean, that's about it for that. Do yeah. You have, do, you, do you have anything that's, like, been making you happy lately? I, like, for those of you who are new, which if you are, like... I'm sorry you're tuning in to this episode, but uh, normally we would use this as our um, complaint corner uh, just because Mm -hmm. we love to bitch. Um, But since everything is so bad right now, we're just trying to put a little bit more positivity into the world and not complain about trivial things. I mean, I I have a, I have a thumbs up, um, which is that. So as you know, I was away from, New York for two months, mm-hmm. um, which was really lovely. I think that was like my big thing last episode, which was just like, it's been so nice not being in New York. Mm-hmm. Um, but since being back, you know, I think it's important to like look at the positive things. And I'm just really fucking grateful for food delivery. Oh, absolutely. Because for the past two months, when I was like with family and whatnot, like we we're, you know, when I was staying in my hometown, like these are towns that like, I guess like you probably could have, like we probably could have gotten delivery, but definitely when we were at the beach. Mm-hmm. Um, so if we want to take out, you have to like go like drive and pick it up, which like, mm-hmm. Whew, mm-hmm. Is, can be a process. <laughs> it, it really is. Um, but so I'm, yeah, it's something that there's something to be said about being back in a, you know, an urban setting where a food is like literally like you could like walk downstairs and get food. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I could literally walk into my kitchen and get food, but mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying. And yes. but also have things very deliverable. And I also am just grateful to be back with New York food because I had I truly didn't realize how bad a pizza is everywhere else but New York. I, I know we are really spoiled. Like so, ba- like we got pizza. Like I, I, like kept being like a couple times because pizzas. I mean, it's a classic food. Mm-hmm. You know, classic pizza. Mm-hmm. Like you, you get a decent amount. <laughs> But every time we would get it, I would just be like, this is bad. No, this is bad. And, just, mm. and at a certain point, my single mother was like, yeah, because you're used to New York pizza, which is really good. <laughs> so I'm grateful for that. Um, mm-hmm. And I know that because you're on, really awaiting to hear that I did finally have my favorite food, sushi, for the first time since February. Oh, good. I am glad. So, I know you were, like, scared to have it, and I think you're fine. Yeah, so to provide some context to listeners who don't know the ins and outs of my crazy brain, which is that when the coronavirus first hit, I know there's a lot of like panic about food, but also specifically people were like, Oh, like if their food is hot, like the virus can't be transmitted. Mm-hmm. So like if you're ordering takeout, like microwave your food, which is what we did for a while. And so I think because of that, we just like weren't getting cold food mm-hmm. delivered. And so we just like didn't have sushi for a long time. But then at a certain point I was like, we kind of like stopped microwaving our food and also like started just getting like yeah. salads and stuff. So I was like, yeah. why aren't we getting sushi? So we finally did. And it was delicious. Good for you, babe. Yeah. Well, I'm sorry if our listeners can hear this, but um, as Grant alluded to, I am in the suburbs for a few weeks in Massachusetts staying with my fiance's family, which has been lovely. But for some reason, truly every single day, I like try to, I like log on to go to work and someone in this suburban neighborhood is doing something to their yard and right now mm-hmm. i'm looking at a, i'm watching a person weed whack right across. i can hear it okay great i'm so glad that you can so we'll this, is your, this is your positive thing this is my po- yeah this is my positive great. thing i absolutely love no um but <laughs> I love weed whacking i love <laughs> listening to people weed whack i just wanted to explain well i'll let's we'll wrap this okay, up sorry, so you guys thanks. don't also have to hear this um but basically what i was just gonna say is like it's been nice being at a home it's been nice it, it like it's lovely here in the fall we've been doing a lot of hikes i've been really oh, getting yeah. back to nature um and the foliage is is so stinking good um, so good so it's just been really idyllic and the weed whacker is getting closer to me so oh and, and you know what it's a leaf blower so actually wow twist oh <laughs> You guys, I know you're on the edges of your seat. It is, in fact, a leaf blower. Okay, yeah, that changes everything. <laughs> if it was a weed whacker, th- like, great. Yes. Leaf blower, so, fuck that. Anyway, sorry about the noise, but thank you guys so much for, for tuning in. Yeah, thanks, um, And thank you for, I don't know, uh, tuning in despite our absolutely sporadic schedule and us just doing whatever the fuck we want. Um, 
Because you know what? I'm, why not? Why not? Why I'm the sure, fuck? <laughs> I'm sure we'll be back with another episode at some point, but we wanted to we wanted to be with you a little bit during the Halloween season and we hope that despite the fact that we can't really have Halloween this year that you all are are really feeling your spooky selves and you get to celebrate in your own way anyway um is that about it I think that sums it up you know feel free to follow us on Instagram Twitter at rwf podcast mm-hmm. you can hit us up at uh email rwf podcast at gmail.com um we haven't done a little bitch in a while, but feel free to send in your your personal spooky stories. Oh, yeah. Especially, I want I want to hear quarantine spooky stories. I want to oh, hear yeah. like shit that you've now like noticed about like your house or apartment or your grandma's house, or okay, your car yeah. or your closet or your mail slot. Tell yeah. us what you've noticed about yeah. these. these yeah, spo- any we, spooky thing that's as as arisen during quarantine. I love that, and maybe that can be the next thing that we do. Is just like if you guys send in some stories, we can just do do a little bit with your stuff. Um, I'm not, I'm not going to make any promises on that schedule because the the it is spooky season. But the scariest thing about it is that the election is actually in a couple of weeks, and there's really no saying yeah. kind of what state we're going to be in um, come that time. So you know, just one, just stay tuned, mm-hmm. S- stay in touch, and stay tuned. Send yeah. us your stories, and you know we'll depending on how things go, we'll either be really in the mood to record or Mm -hmm. we're going to be really in the mood to record. Right, exactly. And in the meantime, make sure you vote, of course, and and be safe while you're doing that. And vote early. Vote early. Yes. Um, People have been saying that mail ballots can take up to two weeks to arrive. Yes. So um, if you're listening to this right now and you haven't voted, please do. If you're voting by mail, if you're voting Mm -hmm. in person, that's great too. Also just be sure to look up your polling place and make sure you have plenty of time. Mm -hmm. Um, Lord knows, my guess is especially this year and especially with social distancing, lines can be really long. Um, But don't be discouraged if you're voting in person. Um, It should be worth the wait because it's a really important election. The most important probably of our entire lifetime. So, um, Thank you guys again. We we love you and we miss you. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and happy Halloween. Yeah, stay spooky, bitches. <laughs> um, bye, bye, bitches. bitches. <laughs> I shouldn't have said spooky, bitches. I <laughs> said bitches too early. Fucked it up.